my privilege to open up the scriptures with you this morning and to preach the word. Let me remind you of what we're busy with. We are busy with a series called Things Jesus Never Said. The reason for being busy with this series is firstly, we are a gospel-centered church. Chanel said it earlier that it's all about Jesus and our lives are centered on him. And secondly, guys, the culture also speaks. Every single day we hear words, lines, philosophies, and ideologies being spoken, and many of them are really not helpful, and some of them actually sound very gospel and Bible-like, and that is why we decided to do this series, is to talk about the things Jesus never said, and then rather discover together what he actually did say. So week one, we said God won't give you more than you can handle. That's something Jesus never said. Week two was God, God wants you happy, and once again, you can kind of complete the sentence that's also something that jesus never said week three uh we spoke about it doesn't matter what you believe which is also something that jesus never said okay i'm going to stop now week four we spoke about it doesn't matter what you do week five we spoke about do good unto others and they will good, do good unto you and then uh last week Murundeni made his debut by preaching on what doesn't kill you makes you stronger absolutely phenomenal phenomenal sermon now, guys, our scripture reading today was two portions of scripture spoken by Jesus himself and the last portion of scripture spoken by the brother of Jesus, Iakobos, or how we say in English, James. So I think we have it on good authority what Jesus actually said. Now, here's the last, uh, the second last thing in the series that Jesus did not say, and that is your healing is guaranteed your healing is guaranteed so this is part seven of our series now guys let me be honest with you right off the bat if i say healing today i mean physical healing i do i also mean emotional healing i also mean spiritual healing we are talking about healing all of those dimensions and in all of those ways when i speak about prayer today or at least use the word pray i'm not talking about magic formulas that will help you to get the results you want i'm talking about you speaking to god as if he's real as your father of which you are his child that's what i'm talking about so whatever prayer looks like in your life that's what i'm talking about this morning and whatever healing it is that you're trusting and asking for that is what I'm talking about this morning. Now, here's the real question when it comes to this theme. I'm going to show you this pic. It'll be our social media post on Wednesday. Is Does faithful prayer guarantee that God will do what you asked? Does faithful prayer guarantee that God will do what you asked? This is the real question when it comes to healing, prayer, and faithful prayer. And this is the question that comes to mind once we think of the fact that jesus never said that your healing is guaranteed now guys let me be honest with you i am not making excuses for god about why your prayer might not have been answered that would be blasphemy because he's god and i am not i've got no no intention of making excuses for him or kind of padding you for some sort of disappointment or let down that is not at all what i want to do this morning what i want to do this morning is i want to encourage you 
okay, deeply. Encouragement is the name of the game this morning. And I also want to admonish you and exhort you and inspire you to have faith. And especially have faith when we pray. And especially have faith when we pray for healing. So what will come to us today is James, the brother of Jesus. Let me just uh, stop here. Oh, I'll leave this one on for now. So what will come to us today is James's teaching on two things. Okay, now these things are community issues. It involves the us dimensions of church, and these two things are faithful prayer. That's what he's talking on or teaching on, and restoring other people to and through faith. Let me give those two things again: faithful prayer and restoring other people to and through faith. These aren't my two main points. This is just kind of setting the table for my three main points, which I'll give to you in just a bit, which will be something that we can consider together today. Let's uh, start with who is James, okay? Because I said we've got two portions of scripture from Jesus himself out of his mouth, and then we've got his brother speaking. So James is the brother of Jesus. You'll see that our main scripture reference there is Mark chapter 6, verse 3. So this is just a screenshot taken from a map which was designed by the Bible Project. For those of you who know me well know that I love myself, a little uh, Professor Timothy Mackey. I think the work that they do at the Bible Project is phenomenal. Okay, So you'll see a list of Jesus' 12 disciples. In that list, you'll see other Jameses as well, right? The son of Zebedee was one. The son of Alphaeus was another one. And then we see the brother of Jesus. We also read about him in the book of Acts. We read about him in the book of Galatians. And uh, here we see kind of an executive summary of his life and uh, everything that he contributed towards the early church. So this is who we are talking about. Literally, someone who knew Jesus his whole life. Okay, who did life with Jesus. What a privilege. Okay. Secondly, here's what I want you to see when it comes to the book of James. I just want to minimize my screen here. When it comes to the book of James, we've got massive influence from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. We have huge influence from the book of Proverbs, specifically chapters 1 to 9. And we see a book that is called Wisdom. Okay? You'll see uh, after the um, equation that there's a little summary of what you find in the book of James. And then you'll see that it's also uh, centered around loving Jesus and loving others or loving God and loving your neighbor. Okay? So it's a wisdom book written to the followers of Jesus to explain to them how they ought to live. Drawing deeply from the well of Jesus' teaching and wisdom in the Old Testament. Now that's really important. I'll say something about that now. And then lastly, what I want you to know is that the word teleos gets repeated seven times. You'll see the word here in the book of James. Now teleos means to be whole, to not be broken to be finished, quite frankly, you'll see this word here, to be perfect, right? to not be fractured, to not feel inconsistent, to not feel like you're lacking. So everything that James says and everything that James teaches is pointed towards this end, is to say, I want you to be whole. I want you to be perfect. I want you to feel healed. I don't want you to ever feel lacking. And therefore, I'm giving this advice on how you should live. And I'm writing this wisdom 
to you, right? So that's James, the brother of Jesus. Now, let me just stop sharing here for a sec. Now, according to church traditions, uh, James carried a nickname, and his nickname was Old Camel Knees. And the reason why his nickname was Old Camel Knees is that, that he had thick calluses that built up on his knees from many, many years of determined prayer. There we go. Buzzword for this morning. So in verse 13 to 18 of James 5, I'll have it up on the screen again. The whole topic is about faith-filled prayer. Now, let me just give some background context, and then I'll give you the three things that we're going to consider this morning. The background context is that James is shifting his attention to congregational relationships, right? The, the relationships between us in the context of this morning. And then uh, he embraces the entire spectrum of life's experiences, everything from gladness to sadness, right? You'll see it on screen when I show it again. Now, this piece of scripture gives us a very exciting yet puzzling glimpse of how the early church reacted to these circumstances. Okay, so congregational relationships, us issues, I issues in the context of us issues, gladness, sadness, and everything in between, and how we should respond to these circumstances. Now, you'll see that it's detailed, okay, and it's procedures, and I want you to know that these detailed prescriptions and, and what we ought to do in these procedures we ought to follow is definitely unique in the New Testament, only to be found in the book of James. And reacting uh, to these circumstances don't get described this way, but James describes it anywhere else in the New Testament. Therefore, we have to spend some real good time to understand James well and to get to the meaning of the scriptures. Um, and we should obviously understand what, what he means or what he says so that we know how to respond and how to react when we find ourselves in these circumstances. So here's the three things that I want to linger on today that we're going to look at as we work through this portion of scripture. And then we'll land the plane and have some good old discussion. The first thing is different time and different culture. That definitely plays a role when we read these detailed prescriptions and procedures. The second thing that I want you to know is the fact that James uses language that is very deep, very thick, very dense, very descriptive, and that it will help us to broaden our understanding of everything that he's talking about. And the third thing that I want you to see is the role of confession in being whole. And not only confession as a personal something that I do inside of me, but something that I do in the context of community. And like I said in the beginning, I want you to be inspired, I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to pray with faith whenever we pray after today. Okay, so let's look at the first one uh, real quick. A different time and a different culture. This means a different paradigm or a different perspective on medical practices, a different perspective on clinical practices, and a massive difference between how medical uh, practices and clinical practices were seen back in the day versus how we see it today. The first thing that I want you to note is the fact that in the time of the New Testament, when James wrote, you were considered to be one. I am a human. And even though I have different dimensions to me, right, at least in the New Testament time, they spoke about mind, body, 
and spirit. And you could even float the word soul in there if you want to. I was still one being. It's not like I could say my spirit is on holiday, but my body is grinding kind of hard. Or my body is ill, but my spirit is still doing phenomenal. There was no such perspective in the New Testament. The perspective was that I'm one human being. And it's either going well with me or it's going bad with me. I am outside and inside is all interwoven together. So if something is not right, I approach it holistically. Meaning, if I experience some form of persecution or suffering, or even if I have physical illness, something must not be right outside and inside, because I'm part of a whole. And that dichotomy, well, it's not really a dichotomy, it's just a division between outside and inside. That's what they knew, right? There was no sonar scans, no CTs, uh, no um, um, MRIs, no x-rays. So it was either, dude, you've got a rash on your skin, or something's wrong inside and you're going to die. And we think it has to either to do with your stomach, your heart, or your brain. Like that was the clinical categories that they had. So if outside and inside is one, and I need a remedy or a cure for something that I'm going through, then I need something for the outside, oil in the book of James, and something for the inside, bread. Okay, so it makes a lot of sense if you know the background context and you see the remedy or you see the procedure. Uh, if you just scan through your Bible, massive rabbit hole, not going into it now. If you look at Matthew 8, if you look at Luke 4, if you look at John 4, you'll see fever as an example of a sign or a symptom that says something must be wrong. We should now find the reason for this fever manifesting or for this person experiencing it. Secondly, if you just think about different time and different culture, the elders are involved in the book of James, which is quite interesting. So why the elders? Well, it's because there's no such thing as an individual in the time of the New Testament. You should know it by now, but if you don't, yeah, you know it now. There's no me. It's always we. Nothing in the New Testament was around my own life goals, my own mission, my own vision for my life. It was all about being bound up in a community and being part of a we. So the church elders were the representatives, the face of the church. So if you wanted to know if the church cares, then the elders had to show that they care. Because if the elders show that they care, then it means that the church cares. Right? And they were the face, the kephale is the Greek word for head, the representatives of the church. And there was all, that was also a way of ensuring people, part of the church, that they are in this together. Okay? That was a common value in the New Testament, is we are in this together, your problem is my problem. It, it's called a strong group society. Okay, now, luckily, we live on a continent of Africa, so we do have that bound up in our humanity in being Africans. Okay, so it shouldn't be too difficult for us to understand that we also operate as a we and not only always as an I. Now, in that setting, okay, so I said different time, different culture, different practices. I said outside and inside are all one. I said the cure should always be holistically. And I said that the community should always be involved in your problems, right? Because the community should care for your problems. The leading question in that context, I'm still only on point one, guys, is, is it sin that has brought this over me? So whenever I have a fever, whenever I experience hardships, whenever I experience illness, the first question in the first century was, is this sin 
that has brought this over me. Because it has to be something. And if I manifest something on the outside, it's probably a symptom of what's going on in the inside. So if I get caught by surprise of something that I'm experiencing on the outside, then I need to go and look for the problem on the inside and immediately ask this question, is it sin? Okay. Now look at this portion of scripture. It's only three verses from the gospel of John. And then we are also going to have a look at the gospel of Matthew. So this is Jesus. And he's speaking in the gospel of John. As he passed by, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Can you guys see the assumption in the question? Straight off the bat, it had to be someone's sin. Let's be blatantly honest. Because he's got an outward problem or a physiological body problem. I don't even know if that's a correct category in English, but please forgive me. Who sinned? Had to be someone. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. How interesting is that? So what caused this cannot be explained. And what does Jesus do? Well, he heals people. But in this instance, specifically, Jesus said, it was not that this man or his parents sinned, but he still healed him, okay? Which is a really, really important remark that we'll get back to later. So we've got these two examples. The one in John chapter 9, when Jesus says uh, there's no sin there, Jesus heals him. And then the rest of the chapter in John 9 is all about a conversation about sin. It's fascinating. I think you should go and read it. Secondly, Jesus, in the second example, let me show you this one. Jesus makes the statement that he can forgive sins and that he will prove it to these people. And the fact that he can uh, forgive sins and prove it to them will lead to what? Well, a physical healing. But once again, Jesus doesn't confirm that it was the cause of someone's sin that brought this illness. We'll read the scriptures now. But Jesus also doesn't leave any room for doubt about his ability to save, to heal, and to forgive sins. Okay? So look at this. So he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. That's interesting, right? Paralyzed guy, physically, being brought on a stretcher, not to have his sins forgiven, but to have him healed. But having him healed would mean having his sins forgiven because the fact that he's a paralytic means that this should be sin. So the fact that he's a paralytic means that there's sin. So if you want to heal him, you have to also forgive his sin. But if you say you forgive him his sin, then he also has to be healed. Okay? I mean, this is the conversation. We find the same conversation in Mark chapter 2. Verse 3 says, at this point, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. Why? Well, it's because he's saying that he can forgive sins. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, classic rhetorical question, Jesus is a champ, to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Now, Jesus knows that's a trick question because both means the same. Because if he says your sins are forgiven, you're going to have to get up and walk. If he says get up and walk, it means your sins are forgiven. Why? Because of this perspective on how they viewed inside and outside trials and sickness. 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were all struck and gave glory to God, who had given such authority to men. You guys see that? So Jesus doesn't say it is definitely because of this man's sin, but it also doesn't leave any room for people doubting if he can forgive sins and if he can heal people because those things are bound up together. Okay. Um, how, how are we doing? I hope we're doing quite okay, right? It is dense and it is a lot. It'll all make sense now once we get to James chapter 5. Now, just before we head into it, I see I've only got a couple of minutes. Well, not a couple of minutes left. I still have some significant time left. Here's what I want you to know. To read James chapter 5 as prescriptions and procedures that we should follow, I think is to misread the text. Because we just got behind the perspective of what is all the context that sits behind this text. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do anything with James chapter 5? Absolutely not. Okay, so stick with me. We're going to take a nice deep look at it now as we enter into the second point. So the second point is the language that James uses. It's very descriptive, it's very rich, very dense, and it'll help us to understand what's going on here. So let me share the screen again, and then I'm going to keep the scripture up here for quite long, just so that you can stare at it and get a feeling for it um, and for why this is important. Okay, so look at all the red words. They are all linked to each other. Okay, they're all part of the same argument. They all form part of the same thing that James is trying to communicate here. So we've got suffering, sick, save, sick, rising up, sins, forgiveness, confession, sins, and healing, all part of the same thing here. Okay, and I'll show you the language that he uses now. Very, very dense. And then you'll see uh, juxtaposed, that means put side by side, to all of these red words is the word praying. And it pops up everywhere. You guys see it. Pray, pray, prayer, pray, prayer. It sounds like a new little rap song. Huh? Christian rap vibes going here. So prayer and all these red words all together trying to make one colossal point. I'm going to take some of these words and just describe its meaning to you so that you can understand what James is arguing. Here. Firstly, the word suffering. James is talking here about persecution because of being loyal to the messianic faith. Okay, He's talking about loyalty to Jesus. He's talking about uh, the wisdom that James described in his book. He's talking about being different from culture. He's not talking about illness and general sufferings in the rough and tumble of life. In that word, in verse 13. Okay? The word suffering here has to do with being in distress. It has to do with feeling overwhelmed. And it has to do with needing encouragement because of sticking it out and being faithful while I'm being persecuted. Is that you? And then James says, well, if that's you, let him pray. Okay, so that's the word suffering there. It's not like suffering from backache or suffering from cancer. We'll get to that now. It's all covered in this portion of scripture. Secondly, he uses the word sick in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? You'll see the word sick pop up again 
in verse 15 as well. Now, that Greek word means to be weak, to be feeble, not Phoebe, to be feeble, to be ill, to be without strength, to languish. Okay, this is probably one of the best descriptions of how we feel when we are sick. It doesn't matter why you're sick. It doesn't matter if there's a virus in your nose or in your lungs or a broken bone in your body. This is what you feel like when you are sick. Now, here's what James says. If you feel like that, then do something about it inside and outside. You guys see that? So let someone come, let them anoint you with oil, and let them pray. Why? Because the cure for the outside is the oil. Because you feel God's presence and care on your body by his people. And the cure for the inside is prayer. Because all of us know that on the inside something happens when you pray. Look at the word save. Okay? That's a really, really interesting word in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. But then later in verse 16, they speak about being healed. So which one is it now? Like, are you being saved? No. <clears throat> Sorry, in the sense of the word salvation, like we use it. Or are you being healed? Or is it both? Now, here's the interesting thing. The word suizua that James uses means both. It means being saved and being healed at exactly the same time. Why? Well, we just read it in Matthew chapter 9 and we read it in John chapter 9. They have to go together, salvation and healing in the context of the New Testament. So properly, if we want to explain this, I don't know why I just use the word proper, <laughs> properly, my bad, my bad. It means delivering out of danger and into safety. Delivering out of danger and into safety. And it's used principally of God rescuing believers from the penalty and power of sin into his provisions and safety. Right? So I am saved. What does that mean? It means that I was rescued from the penalty and power of sin and I was put into God's provisions and his safety. Did that heal me? Yes. How? We'll get to that later. Okay. So save and heal, same word, but you'll see them translated here as save and healed in two different instances. Let's talk about the word sick, which is the one in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So we had a different word for sick up in verse 14. And now we have another word for sick down in verse 15. Okay. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where this word gets used. Which is really interesting. Now, nice one, James, for using a word that we don't have a lot of cross references to really understand. But here's what it, be, here's what it means. To become weary and to become weary to the point of sickness. To be spent is probably the best English way to describe it. To be ready to collapse. And this word gets used in the context of overwork, grinding it out, feeling tired, not being able to carry on. You guys see the promise here? The prayer of faith will save and heal the one who is ready to collapse. It will take the one who is in danger of collapsing and take them into a place of provision 
and safety. Now let's just pause here for a second and consider, guys, the boundless confidence which James has in the prayer of faith. You guys see this? It's limitless, really. I think that was an old Vodacom ad, the word limitless was being used in it. Now, is James guaranteeing the reinstatement of the sick? Is he guaranteeing physical healing of the sick? No, he's not. But he is describing a faith that should make us pray with confidence. It is describing a faith that should make us say yes when we pray these things and when we ask these things. I found this quote in a commentary about prayer and faithful prayer. And I would love to read it to you guys. Just want to also make sure of my time. Look at this quote. All prayer is bounded by the providence and sovereign favor of God, who knows believers' truest needs and may not grant their natural requests in just the way that they would choose. The same paradox runs through the recorded teaching of Jesus. He encouraged his disciples to pray with unlimited expectation. We just read it in our scripture reading. Mark 11 was the one that Andrea read. Yet he himself prayed always within the ambit, that means like the scope or the bounds, within the ambit of God's will, which cannot be infallibly known in advance. Guys, do you remember this? Those who were part of our Easter journey, and even if you are not part of our Easter journey, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? We know Jesus as resolute. We know him as confident. We know him as focused. We know him as someone who experiences deep intimacy with the Father, absolutely breaks down. He has a massive panic attack. What lies before him is too much to handle. He's a human being. In those moments, he prays and he asks, please, can this cup pass from me i said that i'm willing to drink it but i don't i don't i don't think i can anymore it's too much but once again let me pray not my will but your will be done and then do you guys remember in our easter readings that jesus got up from the garden after breaking down after falling apart after having uh, the panic attack that he did back to resolute confident focused sorted out in his identity Jesus. Why? Because his request was granted? No, but because he poured out his heart in front of his own father, asking him what he needs for and accepting that it is bounded by the province, providence and sovereign favor of God, knowing that if it was not God's will, he'll power through it and he'll do it. Do you guys see that? It's a really, really, really important moment in the Gospels and in the life of Jesus. Let me continue finishing. Uh, uh, let me continue reading the quote. Always Christian prayer requires us to, uh, requires our submission to the Father's wisdom and knowledge. And even when our praying is at its most persistent and urgent, the fact remains that God gives only what is for his children's ultimate good. You guys see there Luke 11 verses 5 to 13 and also more than his teaching text of last week, 2 Corinthians 12 verses 8 to 10. James's teaching then, says the commentator, has to be set in this wider frame. Only disappointment and frustration will come if the modern interpreter fails to heed that caution. Okay, it's quite a lot. Um, 
I am going to leave this one up for now. So let me just give, okay, let me just leave this here and for a moment uh, just stop sharing my screen. Okay, so what does he say? He says we should pray. We should pray with faith and we should pray knowing full well who we are praying to. And we should trust that God will hear us, that God will save us, that he will heal us, that he will raise us up and that he will give us what we ask. Knowing that if he doesn't, that doesn't make him good. Knowing that if he doesn't, it doesn't make him less God. Knowing that if he doesn't, that it's bounded in his providence and in his sovereign knowledge and will. Okay. And then you'll see the word prayer used five times in four sentences, meaning this is the only appropriate response when we experience any of those red words used in the book of James. Now, guys, this is the brother of Jesus telling us, the followers of Jesus, what we should do when we experience these things. I believe that God will heal me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever heard anyone else say it? Have you ever heard anyone else say it while they are praying for healing for themselves? Let me share two real quick stories. Now, guys, I know whenever we share a story about parenting as human beings, it's always limited in its ability to actually illustrate the full meaning of it, right? Because I'm definitely not God and uh, my kids are still toddlers, right? So there's no comparison really to draw between the sovereign, uh, uh, omnipresent God and myself as a child. But let me at least use these two stories. Sometimes Ava would come to me, uh, our oldest daughter's name is Ava, and she would ask me something. It is a perfectly legitimate request. It's uh, formulated very well, very eloquently. There's a reason for her asking. It's not arbitrary. And I can really see her need. I can. And I still wouldn't give it to her. Why? Because I know what she needs. I know what's going to happen next. I know what we're serving for dinner. I know what our evening plan looks like. And I know that she is going to be satisfied and get, and she will get what she wants, just not now. So I know what she needs because she asked it to me, knew it even before she asked, but still not granting it because I know infinitely more than she does. And I know what's coming and I know that she will be satisfied. Classic example in our house, dad, I'm hungry. Can I please have something to eat now? like capital letters, two exclamation marks. And I go, dude, I am busy cooking up a feast here. Just hang on a second. Now, but dad, please, knickknacks, fizzers, peanut butter, whatever it is. Dude, no, it's not going to happen. It's a perfect request because you know that previous time you got a fizzer from me, you know that if you're hungry, you should come and ask me something, but I'm not going to give it to you now because something better is coming. Does that mean that Ava shouldn't ask me? Absolutely not. Does that mean that I'm a bad father because I'm not giving over what she wants? Absolutely not. She asks me, but I'm not granting her wish. And we have to have space in our spirits and in our hearts and in our minds that when we pray to God persistently, 
and urgently and we beg him and we petition him that he does say no to us at some times he does because he knows infinitely more second story that i want to tell you is the story of my own back being miraculously healed okay this happened in houston texas after i had a snowboarding accident in the big bear mountain range in california so i was in the united states we went to go and snowboard and i fell on my back and i hurt my back really really uh, badly after that, i traveled to houston and i had this persistent backache i couldn't run anymore i slept really poorly and as i was uh, standing in worship in a worship service my back just got healed without me asking i didn't say anything no one laid their hands on me no one anointed me with oil i wasn't crying out to god to fix my backache he just gave it to me i'll never ever ever forget that moment we were busy worshiping with robbie c band he was the brother of the pastor at the church chris c i had my hands in the air i had my eyes closed there was this beautiful new song playing that i've never heard but it was so convicting and so beautiful boom and all of a sudden my back ache was gone there was no call to people to come in front there was no petition for if you need a miracle today then you say it out loud now god will grant you your miracle nothing but my back healed miraculously no pain whatsoever at all and i remember standing in the crowd there walking up to the pastor tears just streaming down my face saying listen dude i'm from south africa you've never seen me before but i do just want to say this to you god has miraculously healed my back now in this worship song <laughs> and i remember him uh, opening up his eyes looking at me and he goes praise god praise god and then he just went back to worship like no big deal being made of it no running on the stage no instagram post or instagram story i don't even know if instagram existed back back then but it happened why because god wanted to give it to me even though i didn't ask he knew what i needed and i didn't even take my request to him and he gave it to me this week we said to the kids kids gather around we've got a surprise for you our surprise is that we are going to the sea we're going to take some holiday and we're going to the sea someone gave us a holiday guys let's go see it too that was the afrikaans exclamation and our kids absolutely freaked out none of them wanted to go to the sea but we in our providence as parents knew that this is what we needed and we made it happen without them even asking we should have space in our hearts and in our spirits for this kind of understanding of god and how he relates to us okay i'm going to land the plane here and skip the confession quote let me just make sure that i didn't skip any of my slides um so we had the quote there uh okay great so let me just leave this up and give you one last exhortation and then i'll land the plane for us my dear brother and sister if you are a christian well if you're not a christian my dear friend the red words on this screen is very very real we know it it is a lived experience you have your own story with them exactly the same way that i have my story with them i want you to know that salvation and healing is what god does praying is what we do do you guys see that 
Salvation and healing is what God does. Praying is what we do. And we are in this together. Let's remember Elijah. Do you see how James just floats in this Old Testament story in verses 17 to 18 and just drops the mic right there and he goes, you know the story. You know it was about faithful prayer. Let us remember Elijah. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, saving and healing is what you do. Praying is what we do. Therefore, we come to you in our current situations, experiencing what we experience, asking what we need. We put it all before you. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, that you would grant us these, that you would heal us, that you would raise us up, that you would restore us, that you would make us new. I pray that in your name.